This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casazza, welcoming in Chris Anderson to talk about timeouts. No? I'm not taking that bait. That's bait. This is your Ask Me About Kickoffs, Chris. <laughs> That's an old reference. I'm not sure how many people get that one there. But uh, no, West Virginia traveling to Waco, Texas. Early wake-up call, 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern, the Baylor Bears, FS1. Um, boy, West Virginia, 6-3 and three in the series. Some high-scoring games on one side. They both have high-scoring games, but like one team has had blowout wins. And then six games where it's been pretty close, like one-score games, including four of the last five, I believe. Uh, overtime last year, and then just a lot of continuity on these rosters, especially um, high atop the two deep. This should be an important game for both teams because they're both coming off of losses that really put them in a tricky spot. West Virginia, obvious situation, 0-2. Chris, only ever been 0-3 once in conference play. Uh, and then Baylor was off to a pretty nice start, and then... I think a lot of people have questions about their schedule. You can only beat who you play, so nothing against what their start was, but they finally have a team with a pulse against Oklahoma State. I'm not sure how they lost this game, but they were in it until the end, a fourth and two touchdown with about two minutes left for Oklahoma State makes it 24 to 14 final, but Baylor probably thinks it's a lot better than it is and is happy to be home. Um, three straight home games now at McLean Stadium. Excuse me, three games in four weeks at McLean Stadium, so Baylor happy to be home looking to get right. West Virginia just looking to get a win and probably thinks it's a lot better than it showed last week. Something's got to give here, huh? Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a tough matchup between two pretty, I don't want to say non-explosive offenses. Um, so some a lot of defense is going to be played, a lot of hard hits. I, I don't know what the under is. I think it was, it was pretty low, like 44, 48, something like that. And Again, West Virginia's been going under a lot. I'm not trying to get into betting things here, but this is I'm again expecting this to be another 24-21 type game, 21-17, something like that. I just until I see it, I, I guess I'm not expecting anything like 42-31 or anything like that. But neither of these teams have shown us the ability to make it that type of game. So could be an interesting. I expect it to be a tight one, as you noted. Uh, the last handful of meetings have all been decided by a touchdown or less. So, um, I, this is this could be a big one for Baylor to kind of get back on track. I don't want to say they were off track by just losing one game on the road to a top twenty-five team, but um, you know, you, five and five and one is a lot different than say four and two. And and West Virginia sure would like to get back to five hundred before they have another string of uh, difficult games. Yeah, two and four, zero oh and three at the open week. It's going to be cloudy in Morgantown if that happens. Whereas Baylor, again, will be home for a couple weeks off of a loss that they probably think could be a win. 
and then hey beat a team that i think if you look at the standing sunday morning would make a lot of sense if you're three and one of their zero and three okay this makes sense our brand is better than their brand baylor could think that if they pull it off but uh again i don't i don't see a lot of separation here for the last five six points or less uh six of the nine in the series and then neil brown's two seasons a 17 14 loss in 19 and then a 27 21 double overtime win last year uh 48 points in a double overtime game is, is pretty interesting. They're usually a little bit more back and forth when you get an overtime like that. And then this one here, um, boy, you look at what one side wants to do on offense and what the other side wants to do on defense, and they do seem to match up with each other. Baylor likes to run. West Virginia, pretty good front, good run defense. Uh, West Virginia likes to run, and Baylor um, Baylor is just really good at taking the ball away from you, but they, they have impact players at all three levels, but they're hard to pass on, and I think West Virginia – probably has to pass to win this game because the running game just isn't good enough. And then, I don't know, there's a bit of a D- Jarrett Daigie reincarnation magic, Chris. You feel it? A little mojo there. Maybe things are opening up a little bit, but the running game is such and has been such for a while that, I don't know, maybe you go on the road and you let Daigie spin a little bit, but this is not a great opponent to do that because their secondary is so good. And, again, they have different makers at all those levels on defense. Um, a lot of chess pieces could be moved here. Let's just start. Uh you're wearing green or you're wearing gold. Um, I guess you'd be wearing white, but um, I don't know which. How do, how do you move your 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 pawns and your bishops and your rooks here to give your give your team a chance on either side? This is uh, you talked about letting Daggy spin it. He threw 42 times last year against Baylor. Now that was double overtime, but the problem with that, and he he I think it was his highest completion percentage or close to it. Second, well, second highest against Power Five, 71 percent. But 42 attempts to get 211 yards, and he had two interceptions. It it was Baylor was kind of doing that short prevent that I keep joking about each week, and letting him complete underneath. And he never really made them pay on the deep ball, and and he found success in those short passes. And that was a spot that we highlighted heading into last year. Um, I actually went back and pulled up the three key matchups from last year and referenced our podcast from before that game Mm. with the conversation you and I had. And because during that podcast, I had already looked up a couple of the previous games and found a common factor. I asked you if you had noticed anything from when Troy beat LSU, when Dave Aranda was a defensive coordinator Mm -hmm. and we came up with the same answer. And it was Dave Aranda's defense while attacking and very good in most areas of the field was very susceptible to the underneath pass in the middle. Uh, they had been the, the three teams that had scored the most against them, Texas, Florida, and Ole Miss, uh, when he was at LSU, they all did the same thing. They all attacked the middle of the field. Troy, when they upset LSU a couple years back in, in Neil Brown's tenure, they did the same thing as well. Like they literally almost all of their passing yards were in the middle. I think they only completed one pass outside of that that short middle zone that is open against Dave Aranda's defense. And West Virginia kind of did the same thing again last year, except no one really broke anything after the fact. You you know, it's one thing to complete that four-yard pass, but it's also equally as important, maybe more important, what you do after you catch that four-yard pass. And West Virginia, I mean, uh, here it is. Jared Diggy, 20 of 24 when he threw short middle against Baylor last year. You'd be ecstatic if I told you that except those 24 passes went for 129 yards. That's it. 
Um, it, it was just not something not not very explosive, not moving the ball up and down the field the way they needed to. So I, I what the answer is, I'm not sure because so far no one's really been able to kind of light up this Baylor defense this year and found a weakness in it. Yeah, I'm not sure what you do because they're they're hard to run on. Their line is good. They have good linebackers. They have that that star position. That Petrie is one of the best players in the conference. They have good corners and safeties. So, uh, yeah, you want to be balanced here, and you want to you want to zig when they zag, but you, you also have to get them on their heels and be be hot at the start, kind of have them guessing a little bit. You know, they think they know what's coming, but you're doing something different, and then you get them. You know, you could just naturally get a team wobble, and you can do some things. But they're also good on defense because when they have control of the game, their offense is is really good at keep away. Uh, except last week, and we can go into this now. I mentioned that I don't know how they lost this game. It's 17-14. It's a fourth and two at the goal line. They give up a touchdown. It makes it 24-14. But they were down 14 up in the half. They came back. They had it close, 17-14. Had two, had three possessions after that and didn't do anything with it. But listen, you want to beat Baylor, you, you outgain them 400 to 280. Um, you get about even. They had 180 to 220 passing rushing. Um, but you also let Baylor, you, you kind of have to put Baylor in a position that Baylor doesn't want to be in. You know, they committed nine penalties. They were three for 15 on third down. They only had 10 first downs. They only snapped it 56 times. They only ran for the adjusted yardage, uh, 122. They were only in the red zone once. They only had the ball for 25-33. Only, 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 only. That's because, like, when they have the ball, they can bully you a little bit. And I would imagine that it could be easier to do that at home than on the road. But also... If you're not constantly behind the chains because of penalties or because of TFLs or some stuff, I'm sure you'll get into Chris, um, which lines up to West Virginia, one of the best sacking TFL teams. They're hard to run on. They're pretty good at first down defense when they're when they're going well. I'm looking at what didn't go right for Baylor last game. Couldn't run. It wasn't good on third down. Uh, about 50 percent passing, 173 yards on 13 completions. It's not bad. Um, and then. You want to know a big key? Weaknesses. Sorry to interrupt. You know what a big key is? What's that? I didn't, I didn't notice it until you started talking about it right here because I remember Spencer Sanders threw three interceptions. Yeah. Would you like to know what Baylor did on the three drives after those interceptions? They punted twice or one turnover yeah. downs, one punt, one score? No, three punts. Three punts, geez. Three, okay. three, not just three punts, three three and outs with the three drives combining for a grand total of negative six yards i mean three, pl- three plays negative eight yards three plays seven yards three plays negative five yards go on the road and finish plus three and turnover margin and try to lose that game that's out <laughs> yeah I mean, that's out but again like the only things here that that they couldn't do are the things that they have to do so if you can be balanced against them on with your offense and keep them from keeping you in their crosshairs because this is an obvious pass down or, or they always run on this down or they always run out of this formation against zag um Listen, you can't make them commit penalties. West Virginia tried that on a field goal last week, and it didn't work. Um, but maybe you, you kind of get them having to be in attack mode, and they commit. They, commit, they get into some bad stuff. If you're good on first down, they might not be good on third down. If you keep them you know, away from the middle of the field, they might not go for it on fourth down. They go for it a ton on fourth down. And, and obviously, three and outs and punts are good. And if you keep them off the field, you know, the game gets late. Maybe you're scoring or maybe you're you're maintaining a lead or adding to a lead and you start to push, push them a little bit and they're they're just not a good come from behind team, I think, right now. Or at least they're not engineered to be that way. And again, when you finish with 100 more yard, rushing yards than they do, 
that's that's indicative of the style you have to play here too, which again, we say maybe West Virginia wants to air it out because they can't run it. It'd be a great time to have a running game that could actually dictate the game. Yeah, and you talk about Baylor's style and Baylor's how they attack and what they do and getting behind, and that that's the key. I think you, when people read my three key matchups on Saturday morning or late Friday night, this is going to be listed as number three, but it's number one. Um, stopping them on first down. They love they run on first down twice as often as they pass the ball. And they are terrible, terrible, Charles Barkley terrible when they have to go complete or convert a third down that is longer than three yards. I'm not talking third and long. I'm barely talking third and medium here. Anything over third and three. So third and four, third and five, third and six. They are nine of forty-one on the season. Nine of forty-one against Oklahoma State, they went, and this is across all yardage, so this includes third and one, third and two, they were three of 15. And on the 11 sets of downs, the, the sets of downs, not, not drives, but the sets of downs that ended in punts or a turnover on downs, this is the yardage on first down of those 11 sets of downs. Zero, negative one, three, zero, 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 negative two, zero three zero you get this team behind the chains and they're done they are done i i i went back and checked with a couple other teams a couple other teams of west virginia's based and the disparity here is drastic it's more drastic than i've seen for any of the other teams of west virginia's faced. if you get them behind the chains on first down they're done their offense is done let's uh their third down numbers I read them to you. Should I repeat them again? Go. It's kind of not safe for work. They did not convert a third down in the third quarter. Uh, their first half third downs, third and 15, third and 10, third and seven, third and two, third and seven, third and 10. Uh, they go into halftime again, down 14, nothing. They convert third and three, third and six in the third quarter. Uh, and then third and eight, third and 12, third and two, third and one. They finally convert for a touchdown. Um, third and five, third and three, third and 10. So, that's a lot of big numbers there. That's a lot of that four and over, five and over that you mentioned. You know, their average um, average yards gained per attempt on third down, 1.2. <laughs> Not great. Uh, and then, again, 0 for 5 on third and 9 more. Um, their average distance was third and 7. That's not going to win it for you. And, again, if you can keep in mind, that's good. Oklahoma State had 10 tackles for a loss. That's good. And that's, that's something that you're going to have to be um, – you're going to have to be aggressive on first down. I think if you're West Virginia, you're going to have to go after some things there too. Uh, let's let's just start with the Baylor offense. Um, the schedule. Mm -hmm. How much does that have to do with some of these averages and rankings for them? A lot or a whole lot? Uh, some. Uh, maybe leaning towards most. I think maybe that's a little too harsh, but... Um, when I went through it and I looked at, I think right now, or I don't think, I know right now, Baylor ranks number 11 in the country in yards per play on offense. And you hear that and you say, holy cow, this is, this is an explosive offense. You're talking about a team that's averaging every single play seven yards per play, except they've played Kansas, Texas State. Or excuse me, you take out you take out just Kansas and Texas Southern, not Texas State. Texas Southern is the, is the FCS school, so you're still including Texas State here. You and so you're looking at Texas 
Texas State. Sorry, I keep getting twisted up here on State and Southern. Texas State, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. And you look at the averages there, and they rank in the 90s out of 130 teams. So I think there is something here that is saying these numbers are a bit overinflated because they played such an easy schedule to start the year. Do you trust the quarterback to win you a game? That's the question for Baylor because the running game, even if it's not as even if it's not 240 yards a game, it can it can put a drive together, it can move the chains, it could respond, it can control the game. But the quarterback's the one I worry about and again, 50% last week where it was set up for him to hit some plays and he did and we can get into why it was set up to hit some plays and why that may be important this weekend, but um, I just wonder about Bohannon, a first-time starter who has seven touchdowns, no interceptions. He's one of five quarterbacks with 1,000 yards passing and no picks. One of five with seven passing touchdowns and five rushing touchdowns. Those are cool stats. I don't know what they mean, and I don't know that that's something that really moves the needle for you so much, especially when you got to convert like a third and six and you got to hit an out route or you got to hit a crossing route or you got to hit a guy out of the backfield. Uh, West Virginia fans know these things well. Um, He's mobile. He's run a little bit more the past two games. I think that's not probably a coincidence. It helps the offense, obviously. But could he lead you down the field in a two-minute drive or something like that? I don't know. Um, can he handle the blitz? There's some numbers there. But, uh, again, a lot of his passes are, are intermediate and long. West Virginia's given up a ton of screen passes this year. They hardly throw screens. They don't do a lot of quick stuff. Um, it's, it's run, 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 play action, or it's run, play action, run, read, something like that. But Pretty simple on offense, but that's the one guy I want to see. Like, I don't, I don't know if he can beat your defense, but it might be worth giving that a spin. Yeah, he is out of 130 teams at the FBS level. Baylor, they're passing attempts per game, so it's not just Bohannon. There were a couple blowouts where their guys went in and threw a handful of passes. They rank 115th out of 130. So when you ask me, do they trust him? I Maybe it's hard to tell because they, they really don't let him sling it around. And then on his passes that he does throw, about 50% of them are less than nine yards down the field. So you think, oh, they really don't trust him. So all he does is safe throws, little throws, except if he's not running and he's not doing short passes, they really let him sling it, like really throw it downfield. And we talk about the deep pass that's 20 plus yards down the field. And you look at a lot of the numbers for the guys that when they throw it 20 plus yards down the field, those balls are going 21 yards, 23 yards, 25 yards. Bohannon is averaging, averaging when he throws a deep ball, 34 yards per throw. He heaves it down there. And I think it's it's kind of a good strategy. You know, you, you you lull them to sleep with a run, a run, a short pass, a run, a run, a short pass, and then you just bomb it and see what happens. And he grades out pretty well there. You know, it's obviously not a very high completion rate for anybody that's heaving it 34 yards down the field. But you look at a guy like uh, uh, Thornton, the receiver, he's caught four passes, four deep balls this year for 131 yards. Only one of those 131 yards were after the catch. <laughs> and three of those four catches were touchdowns. So they, they they will lull you to sleep, and they trust him enough to say, hey, when you see that defense, and, and I mean, he's not making the play calls at the line of scrimmage, I'm assuming, but they trust him enough that the offensive coordinator 
will lull that defense to sleep and say, all right, now's the time to pounce. Now's the time to throw the deep ball. And, and they trust him to throw it. The offensive coordinator is Jeff Grimes. They hired him from BYU. He brought his offensive line coach with him. Um, and when you think of BYU, you think of, you know, obviously Zach Wilson and then a lot of their airborne tactics. This is the total opposite. And this is a tight ends coach who now has Baylor going one tight end, two tight end a bunch. Again, he brought his offensive line coach with him. And they have this thing, Chris, called the Reliable Violent Offense, RVO. Your thoughts on the RVO? First off, my first thought was I saw it on our main screen, and I thought, what the hell is a reverse veer offense? Like, how do you even run that? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so I will say you threw me through a loop when I saw that, that title because I had no idea what the heck a reverse veer was, and I was very interested in what you had to say. But um, – <laughs> Enlighten us more on what it is. It, I, I don't know. It's a weird name. Um, reliable, violent offense. They've got a pretty veteran offensive line of people who have been in that program for a while. When when Matt Rule came in, he just committed himself to the offensive line. They, they played true freshmen and, and started true freshmen. And a lot of those guys are older now and, and are up there, but they also have some transfers that, that have come in. And, you know, big, mean guys are experienced, but they don't ask them to do much. They Chris, they legitimately run like four or five plays. Um and that may be a lot in the run game, but they dress it up so much. And honestly, there's only so many ways you can do outside zone because Dave Aranda, one, he was pretty obviously disappointed about being two and seven last year, fired his offensive coordinator, fired his offensive line coach, fired his passing game coordinator. Offensive coordinator was Larry Fedora. That's obviously an air raid guy. Uh, Joe Wickline <clears throat> was the offensive line coach. And then again, getting rid of your passing game coordinator, the passing thing wasn't working for him, and they're so much a run-first, run-second team, and again, trying to get themselves into second short where you can be picky on offense or third and extremely manageable, fourth and extremely manageable, you know, play to your strengths, let your defense win the games for you because you can build a lead and control it with your running game. It's totally different from what I thought. When I saw they hired the BYU offensive coordinator, I was thinking, oh, okay, that's, that's a good career move for the offensive coordinator. Zach Wilson's not there anymore. Let's go to Baylor, see what happens. Um it's totally different than what I thought, but they they kind of have a good thing going running. Um, I've I've been enamored with Tristan Ebner for years. Like when he scored three times against West Virginia in twenty eight, no, it would have been twenty seventeen. I guess twenty twenty one. Yeah, twenty seventeen. So he's a fifth year senior. Uh, I thought he was great. He's scary. Like he's a punt return and kickoff return guy. He's got thirteen hundred yards receiving and twelve hundred yards rushing in his career, and he's already off to a good start this year. But their lead running back, I remember last year being a linebacker who was getting like 12 tackles a game at the end of the season. He's their leading rusher right now. That's how well this is working. This is crazy. Yeah, you don't often hear of guys making that that across, across the line of scrimmage position change in college on the fly and just, yeah, we're good. No, no problem. And uh, Abram Smith, is, is. I assume that's who you're talking about. Yeah, looking pretty good. Uh, I mean, he's got 300-yard games, another game with 97 yards, averaging 7.5 yards to carry. So um, <laughs> that's a nice little two-headed monster. And when you have both of them in the backfield at the same time and Bohannon as a running threat, as good as your defense might be stopping the run, that's a lot of options. That's a lot of guys you got to be, be keeping uh, tabs on in the same play. They, they do plan to get in the shotgun. They plan to get in the eye formation. Um, they swap them in and out. They don't use the third one very much, but they do some stuff. But, and again, I'm looking here. Uh, Smith had 
46 tackles in the final four starts last season. He started the final four games at linebacker and had 46 tackles. Now he has 510 yards and over seven yards of carry and six touchdowns. And he hit a big play last week to get him in the game, a 55-yard touchdown. Um, he's fast. He runs away from you. It's, it's a really weird thing they're doing. But, again, th- that you can plug in a linebacker to start and play and play well <laughs> speaks to, like, what they're doing in the scheme and all that stuff. It's it's a lot of uh, motions and formation and shifting. They really try to get you off balance with their – their um their pre-snap stuff and you know teams do that to West Virginia they try to try to make them think about all of the stuff that they do after the snap before that snap and you know if it takes some of the some of the um pressure off the accelerator for West Virginia's defense that's advantageous for the offense because West Virginia's strength and off defense is just aggression and relentlessness but if you're if you're chasing things down from behind or you're going the other direction when you see the ball passing you that'll cool you off after a while so that'll be that'll be pretty interesting um and again, they've been good at it. Not as good lately. A really good win against Iowa State. Don't get me wrong, but I just I was surprised by how much trouble they had last week. But let's go over that. We mentioned all the numbers and everything, and I think people maybe sleep on Oklahoma State's defense a little bit. It looks like it's going to be known before too long if it isn't already. But uh, this is from Dave Aranda. After looking at the film, we know it's all very fixable. When OSU loaded the box, it forced us to win on the outside and on the perimeter, which we failed to do in terms of running the ball. Cracking that eighth or ninth guy and being really effective at it is the key. If everyone is inside, then take advantage of the map outside. We have to effectively block on that perimeter for that to happen. Again, they're outside zone. And Oklahoma State just said, guess what? We're putting eight or nine in the box. How often do you see West Virginia play eight or nine in the box on Saturday? They should. It should be a lot. I really do think it'll be a lot. And that, that's not something I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that, that they do often. Is it that West Virginia puts that many guys in the box? Would rather not, especially if you have five in the secondary. You know, it's it's going to be difficult, but you can against this offense because they're going to bring one or two tight ends into that box all the time too. So it's a possibility. Well, and that's why I think it's also important, um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball for West Virginia that a guy like whether it's Sean Mahone or Alonzo Adai, they are going to. I believe, you know, if, if you're taking this idea of stu- stuffing eight guys in the box, sorry for my phone. Um, if you're going to go with eight guys in the box, more often than not, West Virginia might be playing a one deep safety. And that's going to put one of those guys on an island out there to help over top. And, and that's where we come back to my point earlier about Bohannon, where it's, it's short throws, it's runs, it's runs, it's runs, and then boom, deep ball. And it's going to be very important for a guy like Adai or Mahone, whoever's back there, when they're in that one deep look, to provide that help and not, not fall for all the movement, all the flash, all the running around, all the fakes, and, and be prepared to help over top. And then here's me bearing the lead. More from Dave Aranda. <clears throat> there are some structural similarities between Oklahoma State and West Virginia. We use the term spinner for three-man front with a linebacker defensive end body type at the heel of the defensive line in one of the B-gaps. Stunts and pressures that come off of those looks are similar from that perspective. They're also similar in that they are very multiple. He's seeing ghosts a little bit. like He's seeing what happened against Oklahoma State last week when he's watching West Virginia's defense. Um, man, they might not have to do anything very exotic to kind of line up and be in the position they want to be in, but they might also want to commit more to it. And this is the simple stuff. If you're adding one or two basically offensive linemen with their tight ends to the offensive line, if you're playing with six or seven on the offensive line, you're inviting one or two more defenders in. And I'm not sure how many times you'll see nine in a box, but you might see nine 
box ish, you know, people who were close and who can keep their eyes open and run to a ball. But um, it, it just sounds like that West Virginia and Oklahoma State are similar enough that there's a there's a recipe there that again maybe West Virginia doesn't have to go out and buy some fancy ingredients. They might have all the stuff on the shelves right now too. So that's that's encouraging, I think, if you're looking at one strength versus another. But to your point, got to keep your eyes open. Play action is really good. And then when you see when you see Bohannon when things break down. He does not look short, and his guys don't look short. They put their hand up, and they run, and they want that ball deep. And uh, Thornton's been there forever. Like, that guy's been good forever, I thought. He just hasn't taken a leap. I would watch out for Estrada. That guy's come out of nowhere because he's a transfer from Dartmouth who missed the first two games. Um, one target, one target the first two games, and they said, this is nuts. This guy's really good. we got to get him involved. Nine targets last game, 92 yards, hit a couple deep balls. That's not a guy that you look at necessarily when you look at the stat sheet but that's because he was gone and then not really involved and all of a sudden they said we got to get him involved and we have um they're going to press you and if you're going to they understand this they understand that you have to commit more people to the line of scrimmage to stop their running game they're good at it and that's the price they make you pay um but the tax on that is that if you do too much they're going to go over the top of you so you're right like i don't i don't know how many times you'll see nine in there but you might see a lot of one high stuff for a team that man they like to play cover two and cover four a bunch let's see how uncomfortable they can be and how unsuccessful or how successful they could be when they're uncomfortable. Well, you talk about the the different formations there, but what about personnel? Do you think that this ends up resulting in, um, that wasn't the Baylor game. Was it, what was it two years ago? I remember when, uh, Vic Koning went with the, was it the two, one, six kind of look or whatever it was where he, he, what was that? Three. That was Iowa state. Yeah, that was Iowa state. I mean, what kind of look do you think, do you think there's going to be guys that maybe get more um, more snaps than they would have otherwise gotten? Maybe a guy like, I don't know, Charles Woods. Um, I mean, we've seen Jackie Matthews be more versatile, um, almost like two spears in there instead of another cornerback. I, I don't know. I'm, I was trying to look at ways that West Virginia might not just change their formation, but might change their personnel ahead of this matchup just because you need you need tacklers. You need guys in the box. Yeah, so you might see more Lance Dixon than x Lowe. But if you mm-hmm. got two tight ends in, your weak side's gonna be, you know, your weak side linebacker is gonna be a, a piece you can do something with. But also if you put a tight end on each side, you really don't have a weak side. So maybe you take the will out the field and you put somebody else in. They don't they're not gonna play two bandits. I get that, but you might see somebody who's more on the line of scrimmage. So for example, I'm trying to think here, could Matthews play spear and could Scotty Young play spear two inside? Um, where he can still do coverage stuff, but he's also a good enough, you know, stick your nose in there and defend the run. He, he was good against Army in the bowl game, and he's he's had some good run moments in defense. That'll be interesting to, to see. Um, I, I just don't know. I think that they're so, I don't know, unhappy, unsatisfied, whatever word, with their depth. I'm not sure what they would do. I think you might be more likely to see them play a four-man front again than do anything exotic behind that. And they started in the four-man front, and they played, I don't know, 10 or 12 snaps in it. But they've done that before against teams like this, uh, actually against um, Iowa State with their big tight ends and their running. They played some some even front last year, so it didn't work out very well. But that wasn't necessarily because they were grasping. I think they were trying to get some stops. But listen, if you're if you're spreading out your defense defensive front with these outside zone plays, you're just trying to find gaps like you're aiming for the tackle or the tight end and trying to find a spot. You can cut back if you want. And if you look at their stuff, almost all their stuff goes, you know, outside the guard, outside the tackle, outside the center, or outside the tight end. Um, again, your B gap, C gap, plus gap. So if you add a defensive lineman, that's an easy way to fill a gap or to, to man a gap. So I think you might be more likely to see even fronts 
and not like Vandarius Cowan putting his hand down. I'm talking, you know, Stills, Austin outside, Jefferson Mesador inside, which we saw last week. Yeah. I, hey, well, actually, officially, I think. I don't know if it's actually official, but in the game notes, do you know which of those four was listed as the starting bandit? Um, I, Was it James Gamitter? <laughs> no. <laughs> Akeem Mesador, a noted bandit for West Virginia to start the game because you're right I, I i remember seeing it looking at it, it was like wow that's wait they they started out with a, with an even front that's that's four big bodies up front that's not that you know that's not jared bartlett lining up there on the end that's a, that's another true defensive lineman and uh yeah i don't know why i was looking at extra linebackers and safeties when the obvious answer is they're gonna swap in another defensive lineman good, point. good. but versatility is good too because once you start doing that they're going to make adjustments, and as soon as they do that, then then you go back to your plan A, your plan, your A slash B, where you, again, do you swap something different there? But, again, how much can they win in their base? Because their base is good. Like, they didn't look great last week, but their base is good. Um, I think that they'll be fine in, in traditional senses as long as they're competitive on first down. They, they've been all right on first down. They're playing good defense. Uh, flip the side here, West Virginia's offense, Baylor's defense. Um, again, not a lot has changed here. They, they brought a ton of starters back. I want to say 10 on offense excuse me on defense and last week they did not have Terrell Bernard I think they really missed him on some running plays they were kind of scattered in the middle at times and some some key situations where they were able to convert third and downs and fourth downs and even that touchdown I talked about at the end kind of goes to a spot where you might see Bernard and Bernard was great against them last year um you'll remember the uh, acrobatic interception where just Diggy just didn't see him he kind of laid low and, and snared a pass that was going to go uh, trying to remember who kind of like a mesh, but he just he stepped in front of it. He's good. Um, defensive line isn't as good or as big or as strong as last year, where they had players. Mentioned Petrie, Tejada's back. JT Woods is a really good safety. I like their defense. West Virginia's fourth in total defense. Baylor's third, and and they do some things that just make your life difficult. Um, but at this point, the bigger concern is just West Virginia's offense and, and what the heck it's going to do to to get out of the gates and to, to not only find something good but to keep it going. Yeah, I mentioned that that in the middle, underneath kind of throws are going to be there, but it's there because they want it there, apparently, or at least that's what they wanted last year because they, they uh, Jared Diggy was was very efficient when he threw those passes, but it just didn't result in a lot of first downs because guys were not breaking passes. And I think it's tough when you have someone like Petrie there who is just, man, I've, uh, you you brought me on to him last year. I mean, not that I didn't know who he was last year, but you really pumped him up before last year's game. He was as good as advertised, and I think he's been just as good ever since. And you just rarely hear him mentioned, I think, uh, like as far as the nationally goes, or even from people who cover the Big 12 as a whole, when he might be one of the best defensive players West Virginia will face all year long. And he is going to be the guy that, more often than not, will line up covering one of the slot receivers, one of those inside receivers. According to PFF, his, his snap counts – he is generally a slot corner guy, and he plays in the box when he's not playing slot corner in coverage. So he is going to be involved in a lot of what West Virginia does, whether it's running or passing. So he, he's going to be a key guy to watch there. And West Virginia is going to have to ask you know, somebody like Winston Wright or Sam James to make him miss, to beat him one-on-one, -on -one, and that's not going to be an easy task. He reminds me of Tyron Matthew. He's good. 
just the stuff he does, and they, they blitz him so much, and he just does weird stuff. Like he'll he'll blitz and stop and drop back in the coverage. Then they they can just ask him to do things because he's good. Um, they have a monster in the middle, Siaki Ika. You seen this guy? Yeah, six four three fifty, and Mr. Ika. I don't mean this in any offense, but that dude has not been on a scale in a while. <laughs> He is enormous, and he's a handful, and Zach Frazier is going to have to be good because it, it, it's it's an even front that can do weird stuff, but they can they can be big and, and be small. And what I mean by that is they can play a three-man front, and that guy just takes up your A-gaps. Like, he could take up both of them. Um, and West Virginia has been pretty good with inside zone. They haven't done a lot of gap schemes lately. They're about three-to-one gap schemes to, to uh, zone, other way around, one-to-three. Um, inside zone, outside zone, and they want to get better at outside zone. I actually asked Brown about that this week. Just He was mentioning details and things they had to get better at, and I was wondering what he meant, you know, timeouts, red zone, um, you know, fourth down decisions, third down decisions, you know, what do we do? Because, like, for, for example, their third and seven stuff lately, I've watched them a couple times pass the ball where typically they like to run it and maybe get to third and three and make a decision there or fourth and three and make a decision. But anyways, I was fishing for an answer, and he kind of just said we have to get better at outside zone. I would think this is a reason why, because they're only going to play three. We mentioned the difference between a three and a four, but it's really hard to go inside zone against Baylor because that guy's, like I said, a monster in the middle, and the guys next to him are 295 and 275. They're big. They're good up front, and you're going to have to find a way to get outside of them. The trouble is that Petrie is really good coming from the edge, and they have that, I mean, like a similar kind of player, but the the jack, I guess they call him, probably be like your, your bandit here, but that guy's good off the edges too. Again, they're, they're just they're just talented and effective from all the different levels and the way they put their defense together. So, if they can run the ball outside, I would I'd imagine you're going to see a bunch of screens and quick things outside this week too. Yeah, that that Ika guy, big as you noted, former like top fifty, top 150 recruit, uh, was at LSU with Aranda, came over this year, and uh, in three years has just five missed tackles, and like that's. That's that's not a lot for a big guy, a guy his size, and and that's always going to be involved in the play right there in the middle of the field. Just five missed tackles in three years. Now, of note, two of them came last week. Two mm. of those five slipping. Uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe he's he, something. He's going downhill now. I'm not sure, but um, he, that's not a, that's a big big boy. It's 350 plus. We just put a plus sign beside it. Just leave right. it at that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe the uniform, the shoulder pads, that's some pounds. And listen, if you get him gassed, Chidi Ogbanaya is is but 6'5", 305. That's it? He's he's a snack compared to the main course of Siaki Ika. Uh, they're going to be good. And again, I, I think that you've seen teams do this to West Virginia. They run so much screen stuff because they want West Virginia's defensive line to run up the line and make tackles. And Akeem Mesidor and Dante Stills do that. But that takes a toll on you. I think if you can get their front running side to side to get some screens, again, it's going to be hard to run at the middle. Use those screens as like handoffs, basically, the the long handoff. Quick stuff, bubbles, tunnels, whatever you want to call it. Get them running, and then maybe you soften up the middle a little bit because you are best at inside zone. Um, and then maybe if you do that a little bit, then you kind of soften them up and you can get outside quicker because they're a step off or they're worried about something else. There's There's a way to get them and to crack them on defense. And if you look at what happened last week, I'm not saying – that the Oklahoma State offense is like the West Virginia offense. But Oklahoma State pretty much said, we're going to hand the ball to Jalen Warren 30, 36 times. He averaged three and a half yards a carry. <laughs> but they just said, we're going to run the ball. Um, 59 carries, 219 yards. 
again, 36 carries, 3.5 for attempt. He, his long was 21, but he had two touchdowns, and and they were able to control that game and just run and run and run a little bit, and they, again, a two-yard touchdown to win it, but 3.5 yards a carry. It wasn't necessarily the the net yardage of the average as much as it was the total number of attempts, and 36 times, just the swing of that axe of that defense, that can that can knock it over eventually. Yeah, I'm looking at this. I was looking at Warren's numbers. Yeah, missed tackles forced, 14 of them on those 36 carries. So 14, 5, 19, 22 missed tackles for Baylor. I mean, not that it matters. We brought that up about Texas Tech missing 31, and then West Virginia couldn't move the ball on offense. So maybe it's a get-right game for Baylor's tackling. Who knows? Also, they they ran Sanders a bunch. They ran, like, speed option with him and RPO stuff, and I think he uh, 76 yards rushing, too. Um <laughs> yeah, you, the the message board does not want to hear what uh, our Baylor site said when I, I asked him if you were an opposing, if you were West Virginia's offensive coordinator, what would you draw up to beat Baylor's defense? You know what 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 could beat you? And the very first thing he said was a scrambling quarterback that likes to run outside of the pocket. Just just don't do what the defense doesn't want you to do. Just, just never, never make the defense mad. There's, a, there's just, a way. I'm just there's telling you what back. they said. I'm not. I am not lighting a match and throwing it into a puddle on the message board. Just, just noting. Impossible for me to think that this doesn't come down to turnovers here. I, I admire, but what Bahannon has done, I just don't believe he's a perfect passer. And then, listen, they've taken the ball away ten times this year. They've only turned it over twice, I believe. Again, no picks. I think they lost two fumbles. Um, West Virginia just isn't taking the ball away. Two picks, two fumble recoveries. Um, that's a gap of six possessions there. And just listen to Brown talk this week about how possessions are down in games. And if you look at it, that's that's really true and it's probably overlooked, but they're just not getting more than seven or eight possessions a game in the traditional sense. I'm not, not, not talking knees at the end of a half or at the end of a game. Um, and, and they're not good enough to score on five of those seven possessions, so they're going to have to score – you know, touchdowns at a field goals, which isn't their thing, but they're going to have to find a way to shorten the other team's possessions and give themselves an extra one with turnovers and conversely not do that the other way. Um, th- this is probably a silly question, but how important is just ball security in this one here and, and not when we expect it to be close being, you know, a minus two, minus three on either side of this? Uh, let's just put it in perspective. Baylor, number 12 in the country, averaging plus one, you know, plus one per game in turnover margin. West Virginia, Tied for 121st out of 130 teams at minus 1.2 per game. I mean, it's over two possession difference between the two teams right there. And, and again, you say, yeah, you brought up the point that Bohannon doesn't really toss around. He, he, who knows if he's actually a perfect, you don't really think that he's a perfect passer, but they don't put him in positions where he's going to throw it away, which is just part of their scheme. So they hold on to the ball. They run the ball. They hold on to the ball. Um, they they force turnovers on defense. They got guys that fly all over the place. Some good cornerbacks. Um, it's 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 the key to the game. It, it's right there. You you got to hold on to the ball if you're on offense. You cannot give Baylor more possessions. Other two talking points here are the the slow start last week relative to the faster starts every week, and then the slow finish for the defense. And um, boy, we talk about how good the defense is, but it really hasn't answered the, the call in the fourth quarter in the three losses, which is a hard thing to say because it was excellent when challenged against Virginia Tech. Um, 
compare and contrast here. Which is more urgent? How important Saturday would be a good start for the offense, maybe conversely for the defense too, but also a strong finish for the defense and maybe also the offense, which does tend to vanish in the second half. <laughs> I think you got to get a good start with the offense because if you go out there and piddle around on offense again, I think it could kind of snowball in a very, very bad direction um, for West Virginia. So I think if your if your defense comes out and maybe allows, you know, Baylor to run like a, a 10 yard, even if it's like a 10 play drive for 80 yards and eventually they pound it in for a touchdown. I don't think that as bad as that sounds, and usually that'd be pretty demoralizing. I don't believe it's as demoralizing as it would be if West Virginia's offense came out with no spark and punted on three and out. I think that would just, I don't want to say guys would throw up the, the white flag there, but I, that would be the uh, the worst possible start in my mind. Just in case you're keeping score at home, quarter by quarter splits. West Virginia, 56 to 45 in the first quarter. Ooh. Uh, 37 to 6 in the second, 44 to 10 in the third, 13 to 9 in the fourth. Excuse me, 13 to 29 in the fourth. A negative in the fourth, um, more than 2 to 1. The middle 30 are great. The outside 30 are not. But again, 37 to 6 and 44 to 10 in the second and third quarter, it's pretty good. Um, typically, teams have established a game plan and then make adjustments at halftime, and West Virginia's conquering that. Baylor splits 42-17, 49-27, 48-13, 46-30. Pretty consistent every quarter, too. Um, but their middle two are 49-27, 48-13. Strength for strength here, too. Um, they get off to good starts. West Virginia was getting off to good starts. This defense has kind of um, let up a little bit with that 14-point that quarter last week. So eh, numbers are there for a reason. I'm not sure how serious you take them, but it's impossible not to talk about the the obvious thing about West Virginia's defense in the fourth quarter uh, align with the offense in the fourth quarter because that's like the only time they really do match up, and unfortunately, that's not in the right direction, too. Uh, one more we can go, Chris. Can I ask, Can I add on to that fourth quarter talk? Hit me. I didn't realize just how, like, if you look at the breakdown for the run defense mm-hmm. for West Virginia, and it's pass defense is bad, too. The The Worst quarter as far as opposing opposing quarterback rating is the first quarter, but fourth quarter is not far behind, and second and third are drastically better as far as pass defense goes. Run defense, and this kind of makes sense and jives with the fact that, you know, everybody's been bringing up the fact that there needs to be better rotations on defense, needs to get more guys in there. Um, by over a half a yard, West Virginia's run defense is the worst in the fourth quarter. By yeah. over a half a yard, um, and, and it's good as far as 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 far as you know national averages go and everything like that. West Virginia, I believe, is what I say sixth in yards per attempt on defense on rush defense, but in the fourth quarter they're allowing over three yards per carry, which again would be about average for like a traditional team, maybe even slightly above average. But the third quarter, one point nine; second quarter, two point one; first quarter, two point five, and they've given up more more first downs running in the fourth quarter as all other third all three other quarters combined or the same amount 16 in the fourth and eight six and two so 16 total in the first second and third quarter you get worn down that's 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 my that's my take from it is they get worn down but doesn't look pretty in that fourth quarter for the run defense uh winston wright can sit this one out uh, Noah Rauschenberg, the kickoff guy for Baylor, 29 touchbacks and 33 kickoffs. But that's not the special teams note I want to leave you with, Chris. Go. 
we have kickoff, or excuse me, West Virginia kicker, eight for eight, Casey Leg, mm-hmm. against Baylor punter Isaac Power. A long of sixty-eight, average of forty-three and a half. This this is why we need to add an extra layer of editorial uh, discretion so that you cannot make titles or, or do puns in well, the titles of your stories anymore. I didn't name him. His last name is Power. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> oh God. I think it's a good stat or a good. I don't even stat. It's a, it, never mind. Uh, Forty-three and a half. I don't think he's punted enough, but that's a uh, I don't know middle of the pack, but. Leg versus power in the kicking game. Um, that's all you really want. 37 and a half. I'm sorry. He's actually 37 in the country and a uh, punting average. He has, he actually has qualified for that. So um, they kick off a ton because they score a lot of touchdowns. I didn't think they'd punted very much because they also go for it a lot on fourth down. Uh, might not see a lot of punters in this one because both these coaches like to go for it on fourth down. Could be a, I don't know, could be one of those things that, that adds up at the end of the game too. Here it is, Chris. Saturday, I don't know, four o'clock. We're talking win or lose. What are we discussing? What are we discussing? We got to be discussing the quarterback one way or another, because either Jared Deggie kind of builds on what happened in that second half, um, finds a rhythm, gets things going, or the team's lost and they're two and four. I maybe rudderless is a little strong, but rudderless is the offense. And you're going into a bye week, and you pointed it out a couple weeks ago, you know, two-week kind of season for Diggy. So if they win, it's, hey, Diggy's found his rhythm. Is this the turning point? If they lose, it's something has to change on offense, period. And so that that's the conversation no matter what. I like it. Good point. Makes sense. I will. Uh, I want to agree, but you know I can't. I'm going to go with uh, with turnovers, not because I said it before, but I just I just feel like it. This seems like a thing where Baylor has leaned on it for so long, and it can be so fickle, and the game just catches up to you sometimes. And I, I just kind of feel like West Virginia could be due, or West Virginia could just be a team that turns it over a lot, which could happen on the road. Um, just, just frankly, the way these two teams are going, one team protects the ball as a habit, and one team loses the ball as a habit. And sometimes that's just who you are. But then sometimes, you know, the script flips. So I have a feeling that you might see like a, a three to one or a two to O margin here or just a critical error at the worst time by somebody that that makes a difference. That's my my hunch here on this one. I don't think you're wrong, especially with how all these games have been close. So the margin of error is very small and it, it could end up coming down to one play, one player, uh, you know, one turnover, uh, something critical like that. We will talk more about the margins tomorrow, how West Virginia has more or less created them and how it has not really done well minding them, why that is important Saturday. Uh, by the numbers, the fresh set, that's just me previewing the game. Chris, up your sleeve is what? Uh, I got the expert picks coming later. I got insider Q&A with our Baylor site, uh, Tim Watkins from over at Bears Illustrated, uh, and then three key matchups that will go up midnight on Friday night uh, since it is a noon game. Try to catch you night owls um, on Friday night, and then the early birds on Saturday morning can catch it as soon as they get up. We will catch you after the game with a rapid reaction podcast. Until then, enjoy kickoff. I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.